0: This is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, February 11th, 2022. Dornall, how was your week?
1: Hey, uh, it's been a good week, slow and quiet. I tell you what, I'm very excited at home. We have beautiful weather. This is that. Uh, late, you know, that early spring fake out that we get up in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, so uh, I, uh, after a full week of work at the home office, I'm ready to spend a little time outside this afternoon. How about you?
0: Um. Well, what I can remember of my week is going, you know, mostly well. Yeah, I've got a uh... Um, I am hurriedly trying to finish my, uh, trying to finish the Shatterrun games. Uh, unfortunately the first, and I'm not talking about, you know, pen and paper here, folks. I'm talking about the No, Shatter that would Run. be
1: dreadful. We've, tri- <laughs> We've tried the pen and paper Shatter Run That Hush don't work.
0: <laughs> the Oh, yeah, you tried sixth edition. That's why sixth edition is, well, it's horrible, is, is what it is. <laughs> um, but yeah, the uh, the Shadowrun video games that were released by Harebrained Schemes that I was in on the Kickstarter for the second and third one, um, which is Shadowrun Dragonfall and Shadowrun uh, Hong Kong. Um, And Shadowrun Returns was the first one. They're awesome games. They're a lot of fun. And I'm trying to get them finished because some, you know, some other good games are coming out real soon now and uh plus i just found out that some other games that i've wanted to play but i just haven't had the money to buy are now available for free on the uh through the ultimate game pass on the xbox so i've downloaded those and been shocked to realize that uh, some other games I wanted to play and, or buy are coming out also on the Xbox game pass. And it's just, it's more gaming than I have time to finish. And I, I've heard people complaining about this for years that as adults they don't have time to finish what they want to finish. And and now I'm here and it, it sucks. I hate it. <laughs> uh but uh Hogwarts Legacy released yesterday on the Xbox. Um and of course you know what's happening with Hogwarts Legacy. We don't have to talk about it. We don't, you know, we don't have to wait. Uh, you, you, it.
1: you, meaning the audience. I only have a vague notion of what's going on there.
0: Oh, you haven't heard?
1: Does it does it have to do with J.K. Rowling's?
0: Uh... Everybody, uh, everybody's upset at J.K. Rowling. But the game is so popular on Twitch that all of the Twitch streamers who want to skip it to appease their audience are being forced to play it because it's so darn popular that like all the number one streams on Twitch right now are Hogwarts Legacy. Mm. And all of the sites that would like to boycott reviewing it are not only having to review it, they're having to give it nines and 9.5s and whatever because it's so actually really honestly good. so Wow. So they're being inundated with hate mail and hate mobs, but they're having to give it good reviews and having to play it on Twitch because it's just that darn fun. So... I-
1: I'm kind of I'm kind of hurting to hear that people still make fun games.
0: Yeah, I know. It's kind of surprising, isn't it?
1: Yeah,
0: it really is. Um, and then of course I'm having to I'm doing work. Uh, and uh, having a lot of fun doing the work. Um. Because despite some major setbacks that happened this week, uh, the rebuilding that's going on uh, is... uh, After you have a setback and something falls apart on you, just completely shatters and and sinks into the ground, then you kind of have to... uh, Turn around and fix it. And so, you know, the rebuilding that's been going on has been going kind of well. And I haven't rebuilt it in the sense of, yeah, we're done, everything's cool. But, you know, the rebuilding that's going on has gone well. It's gone well. So, I'm, uh, I'm excited.
1: Great. Uh, it's been a slow week in uh, tabletop gaming news, hasn't it? Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah, really slow week. I mean, it's not like Wizards of the Coast hasn't stabbed themselves in the, 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 the foot again. <laughs> yeah, they stabbed themselves in the foot again. Kyle Brink. And let's be honest, he was trying to pander, but he was trying to pander in a panic. And When you pander in a panic, something slips out. So it just... What happened? He, he went on a podcast that is called Three Black Hobbits. Okay. Um, and it's... I don't know why they call it Three Black Hobbits. I have no opinion on why they call it Three Black Hobbits, because I haven't read up on the podcast, and I've never listened to the podcast. But on this particular episode, the... Two podcasters who were interviewing Kyle Brink, who's the executive producer of Dungeons & Dragons for Wizards of the Coast. Both of them were African-American, as we used to say back in the 90s. In ye olden days. Sure. And... um. He was trying to talk about how diversity is important to Wizards of the Coast. And then he slipped and he was talking about how all the employees, they were trying to get them more diverse and stuff. And then he said, well, in past years, we've assumed that the players of Dungeons and Dragons have been typically white and male. And that hasn't been the face of our player base for a long time. Now, Kyle Brink, I should say, is also white, heterosexual male. Mm-hmm. He said that straight white males haven't been the face of our player base for a long time, and I think it is healthier for the hobby For people like me to leave the hobby as quickly as possible. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but that is fairly close to the exact quote. That is such
1: a weird thing to say. What did you say? Pandering while drunk? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. Yeah. Uh, Pandering while
0: panicked, I think.
1: Pandering while panicked, I see. Um well if that isn't a toxic ideology I don't know what is.
0: So that's been a bit of uh a bit of a big controversy running around. People are upset. And then of course there's the usual bunch of people who are upset that people are upset and trying to say no 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 it's all okay. He wasn't talking about straight white milk players leaving the hobby. He was talking about straight white male game designers leaving the hobby. And so it's all okay. <laughs> I I Did- confess, I don't see how that all makes it okay. Sorry.
1: <laughs> Race baiting. The only winning move isn't to play.
0: Yeah, I just... I mean, I really don't want to talk about it anymore, but, yeah, that's that's the big news in gaming this week, folks.
1: You got the gist of it out. Wizards of the Coast are still a bunch of idiots uh, who are part of the Death Cult. Uh, They hate you. Don't give them your money. There you go.
0: I I just, why did they want to do this so soon after the OGL thing that tanked? I mean, Paizo is selling, like, 8 times their usual sales rate they're selling books so fast they literally can't keep them in stock they're reprinting their manuals but they can't reprint them fast enough to sell them all to to, to meet all the sales requests they're getting wow oh this is what i wanted to say You guys remember uh, Russian Bioshock, also known as Atomic Heart?
1: I've heard the Um, name.
0: It's coming out as part of the Game Pass. So if you have Game Pass on your Xbox, you can get it for free and play it for free. You don't have to worry about pre-ordering and stuff. You can just try it out. Sounds good. So I've got that set up to come online whenever it gets released. Uh. also um, i i may have an inside line on getting a new xbox x so we'll see what happens you have that may have, have actually week. come in the mail today
1: the inside line of the xbox x1 x xx one, x, x, one boom
0: plus <laughs> oh wait, that's a PlayStation thing. Sorry, my bad. I'm having to search on the web while I was talking, so uh I finally got to that point and we had already moved on to something, so I wanted to go back because I wanted to give people the news. If you've got an Xbox and you want to play Atomic Heart, it it's I, I've already pre-installed it. I downloaded it and pre-installed it this week. So it's ready to go. I think it's coming out on the 13th. Um, it's, it's ready to go. Uh, and I also found out that the last two, Modern Warfare 2 and uh, the one before that, uh, are part of the EA Pass that you get as part of the Game Pass on Xbox. They're available to just install and play now. So the the single player campaigns. I mean, because I don't do multiplayer.
1: So mm-hmm.
0: I think we're done. I think we've spent fifteen minutes on this, and it's it's time. To I, I was our I was
1: I was debating on on letting you go for another couple of minutes to make hit the fifteen minute mark exactly. Uh, but yeah, that's it. That's it for news and in, in geek BS this week. Uh, so. Uh, Our guest, uh, Daddy Warpig, you met this guest at uh, FanX. Care to do the introductions here? Sure.
0: Um, Christopher, and I'm hoping I'm getting this right, because it was awesome. Christopher Rocchio. That's it. Boom. Got a new one. Which, uh which sounds like the last name of an action adventure hero, a movie action <laughs> hero Chris Rocchio. if it weren't already taken by Sylvester Stallone's famous boxer character, uh, that would be awesome uh, uh that was some this, N-
1: that was some NPR stuff right there I have to interrupt. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone's famous boxer. <laughs> Carry on. Is
0: that, is that how an NPR host would announce that?
1: <laughs> yeah, there was a there was a gag. You remember the um, sitcom Parks and Rec? They did a they they did a gag where they sent up the NPR hosts, where you know this, you know some doddering old man on the radio says you know tries to explain to the audience who Batman is. Everybody everybody knows who Batman is. Oh, they, he calls himself the Batman. Anyway. You're
2: going know, to do your best Ira Glass impersonation. Yeah.
1: Oh my goodness. No. Oh. Sorry. Yeah, no.
2: I, I, I have the same response.
1: <laughs> yes. Okay, I'm glad you understood those weird, guttural noises I made.
0: Um, We met at Fanex. uh, that's the same day I, I met Kevin Smith also. Uh, and I got a picture with Steve Diamond and uh, Larry Correa. Um, so it was a great day all the way around. Um, and uh, I asked, I had the boldness and foresight of thought to ask Christopher he wanted to come on the show. And then... He said, yes, he had a book that was releasing in December. But it turns out that that actually got pushed back a bit, um, which is good because then he had some big news that we're going to talk about. And uh, the book got pushed back to coming up in a, a bit after the show.
2: Uh, no, all- no, it, uh, it's it's out, actually. It only got bumped a couple oh. weeks, so it was still out in December. Uh, it was the fifth oh. book in the series. Uh, they went from like the first Tuesday to the third Tuesday or something like that. Oh. So, not a big bump, but we uh, we made it.
0: Um, well, the fifth book in the series is just came out in December, so you'll definitely want to check that out.
2: Yeah, oh, no, that, was, it, uh, huh? that was Ashes of Man. Uh, the uh, yeah, the fifth book in uh, in the Sun eater series. So I had I had two out last year. Book four came out like last March. So uh, we are we are between hardback and paperback releases uh, on those.
0: So that's a good save, seamless save, don't you think, John? I'm really
1: impressed. <laughs> I am I'm, I'm just gonna mute myself. I'm gonna sit back and, and watch you save nonstop.
0: So uh, it I think it's your turn. You can ask a question.
1: Yeah. Oh, actually, I just want to get uh, more technical stuff out of the way. First of all, welcome so much to the show. It's great to have you here. No, thanks, man. Glad to be here. And uh, I caught your website earlier, and I need to put this in the show notes uh, for uh, later, but uh, we'll just start off with your website, yeah, Stellar Empire. Is that right?
2: Uh, Solon Empire. S-O-L-L-A-N. Yeah. Uh, I took the road less traveled by. Everybody goes Terran, so I, I made it about the sun.
1: There you go. That's actually that's actually pretty clever. Uh, yeah, sullenempire.com. I'm gonna make sure that's in, in the description later, uh, where I found out some of this information about these books. Um, fifth book in the series. What did you call the What did you call the series? Uh, the series is uh, the Sun Eater
2: series. I could not get suneater.com unfortunately, so uh, I had to oh. improvise. Uh, but uh, Sun Eater. It's a space opera, sort of in the tradition of Dune. Uh, twenty thousand years in the future, galactic empires. Uh, only I've got aliens. Frank uh, skipped the aliens, so uh, you know it's uh it's been working on this now really since like 2016 is when I sold the first book, uh, but I've been plugging along ever since. You know, um, so I've done five books now. Book six will be done in another couple of weeks. Uh, two novellas, uh, something like two dozen short stories. Been. Uh, has been the extent of my uh, my writing credits. Has been working on this series.
1: So, uh, well, that's good to actually have five, now six books under your belt for the series. Your uh, website also mentions uh, uh, novellas and short stories, w- from which I shamelessly grabbed today's uh, screen grab. Uh, I I decided to find the the least space like uh, image to use for the cover. It looks like a dwarven. Uh, ruins. Oh,
2: yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah, uh, I think I know the one you mean. That was uh, for the cover of a novella called Queen Amid Ashes. I uh, had not planned on publishing it separately. It was in an anthology. And uh, I got an email from my audiobook publisher. recorded books and they were like, hey, uh, why didn't you tell us about this? Uh, We want to publish it. So, uh, but we want you to, you know, have the ebook, you know, ready to go at the same time. And I, I told them well, I was in this anthology. I hadn't really, you know, planned on doing anything with it just yet because, you know, you you kind of want to give the anthology a little room to breathe. Um, I was allowed to go and reprint it. It was one of my uh, Bang Books anthologies, uh, and those contracts are pretty generous the short stories. Um, but uh, I hadn't planned on doing anything, so I needed to get an ebook together in like two weeks, basically and uh so i i bought some stock art and it was uh it's not a precise fit there's a little like dwarf statue on it i'm planning on uh updating that in a little bit but uh, that's what happens when you uh when you have two weeks to get something together um but uh that cover should be updated later this year i'm gonna be relaunching both of those novellas with more appropriate artwork so
1: Oh, uh, that's a great idea. I, that was, that was me being a smart ass and so now I can't change it because we talked about it in the show. So if I change it, people, people come back later. will know what's going on.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, no, that was, that was totally me cutting corners, which is, uh, you, you, you caught me. So, <laughs> uh, you know, it was a bit of an awkward situation because actually the anthology that I'd done with Bane is the cover. That's my little icon here, which is great, but I, you know, couldn't repurpose that for the, uh, Self-published ebook that wouldn't be uh, allowed. So, uh, oh yeah, um, here I was. Here I was stuck, sort of scrambling. Um, but you know, you uh, you do what you got to do sometimes,
1: right? So, so you've been doing this this series for from twenty sixteen, and uh, sure, I suppose, I suppose that space opera inspired by Dune is is a pretty common starting place for a lot of people. But uh, can you tell? Us more about the series, like oh, what, yeah. what, what, what is it about? What makes it uh, interesting and different?
2: Yeah, so uh, like I said, this is set twenty thousand years in the future. It is a story of a a man called Hadrian, uh, not Adrian, to carry over the Rocky thing there. T W, uh, totally an accident that that happened, uh, <laughs> but uh, but Hadrian is a nobleman in this big galactic empire, and uh, he. Runs away from home, from his responsibilities. Uh, his dad wants him to be a priest. He does not want to do that. Uh, and uh, he ends up sort of swept into the uh, the middle of this conflict between the human empire and the aliens, the Cielsen, who are the first really technologically advanced, technologically capable uh, species that humanity has encountered in all of this time. Uh, and, um, and so he becomes quite central to this conflict. That takes up most of the series. But the series is written uh like a memoir so it uh you know he's telling the story after this war is over he tells you on the first page of the first book that he is the man who ended the war and uh, dealt with all the aliens his story is uh know a small part his attempts not just to explain but to justify his actions uh you know he's he tells you pretty early on he's he's famous for not only uh you know wiping out a star system uh you know collateral damage style uh but also for killing the emperor apparently uh, and, uh, and so there is this sort of distance between, uh, Hadrian as narrator and Hadrian as character as he's going through the story. And, you know, it's got a bit of everything. We've got, uh, space battles, we've got sword fights, we've got weird sort of eldritch horror, uh, aliens on the periphery of the story. There's uh, sort of this big cosmic narrative that's all, uh, slots into, uh, you know, we've got warring houses, political intrigue, um, you know, um, there's even a lot of some cyberpunk elements, especially in like the second book. Um, lots of, uh, lots, just lots of stuff going on. This is very much my kitchen sink series. This is something I've been working on in some form or other since I was, uh, uh really a kid, you know, I've always wanted to be a writer and this was always the project I was working on. Of course, when I was little, it didn't little, you know, look exactly like, um, you know, um, you know, uh, it does now it changed significantly over the course of my life, but this has always been my project. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, talking about doing right, it's absolutely, uh, a love letter to Dune, but it's also a response to Dune, right? I am far less cynical about heroes and heroism than, uh, um, than Frank Herbert was, uh, I, I think because, you know, they're they're sort of inevitable. There are inevitably these sort of great figures that, uh, let's say, um, you know, straddle history, and, and you can't really get away from them. So um, I wanted to sort of acknowledge, you know, uh, Frank Herbert's sense that, you know, heroes are dangerous, they can be uh, catastrophic, but uh, you know, but, but now what, what do we do with that? So I, um, I wanted to go from there. So if you, if you like that sort of old school, uh, so-called new wave space opera, it's very much in that tradition. Um, but it's, uh, you know, I guess a bit more, uh, maybe more character driven is maybe the right phrase. Not that Dune isn't, but it's, uh, it's all in this guy's head, right? Um, you're very close to the protagonist, which is, I think a little bit different than a lot of the, uh, um, other sort of temples in the genre
1: and from a that's a great description from a technical standpoint because it's written as the memoir of this hero then you don't have dune's omniscient narrator you're you're necessarily dealing with the um what's what's the term oh i almost had the term on the tip of my my tongue um unreliable he's not necessarily unreliable he's not necessarily unreliable but He's not uh, not omniscient either. Right.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, I actually I had a, had someone ask me this question. Was it this morning? Uh, I, had a, I had a letter from somebody who was asking about Hadrian being unreliable. And I think the tendency is to look at first person narrators and say this guy is a liar just by default. And I don't know where that comes from in science fiction fans. Um, but I, I, I tend to think that Hadrian is less unreliable and just more limited. Right. He is, you know, just like you and me, his his perceptions of events and things are um, not necessarily a hundred percent. So this is something I've been exploring with the novellas and the short stories is revisiting episodes from this really long series from a different point of view and things, uh, at least, you know, people's motivations, not hundred percent lining up. So, you know, uh, you see this a lot with historical documents, right? We have, I think like four biographies of Alexander the Great written, you know, not during his lifetime, but a couple hundred years later. And they don't line up on the details either. So figuring out what happened is, you know, in part um, uh, about triangulating, you know, one, uh, events between like one version of, of the story and another. So this has been sort of a fun experiment to play with in uh, in writing the sort of tie-in stories. Um, I'm a big uh, admirer of Gene Wolfe. And, you know, Gene Wolfe is so big on uh, point of view and perception in his writing, not just in *Book of the New Sun*, but in *Fist Cerberus* and all this other stuff. And um, and so, uh, being able to sort of get at objective truth, right? You know, we talk about truth in fiction, you know, whatever, right? You know what I mean? Uh, canon, if you will, what actually happened uh, by having to sort of do a little, you know, a little work there and a little thinking around what the characters are saying. I think is is rewarding and, and kind of fun. Uh, It's just sort of extra, extra little puzzle on top of uh, just the normal storytelling.
0: Every Uh, every person comes to a situation with their own perspective, their own personality, their own training. I mean, if you have someone who is, um, let's just say a fashion designer, what hmm. they notice when they come to a situation, uh, just, you know, you've got 10 people standing around, not doing anything. What they notice when they come to that situation is going to be different than what a soldier will notice when they come to that situation or what a, um, what a, uh, a woman would notice when they come to that situation. Um, and, it's not that a narrator is lying. It's that they all come to that with their own experiences. And that's what first person means is you're seeing it through the eyes of the character. But even close third person, you're seeing it through the eyes of the character. No, absolutely. Um, and yeah. Yeah. I, I know there's a lot of unreliable narrators who are liars, but that's a very, very particular, tiny subset of first-person writing.
2: No, I, I think that's right, but uh, I do think that people have this tendency to just conflate the first-person narrator with lying. Um, and, and I don't know if that's you know our culture, as someone said in the comments, or if that is... Uh, just an expectation that genre fiction readers, uh, bring to, uh, you know, that sort of style, uh, you know, maybe that's the fault of, uh, you know, earlier writers who sort of take advantage of that sort of trick to hide something from their audience. Cause like, it is like super tempting, right. To, uh, and, and you should, as a writer, use all the tools at your disposal and even the medium at your disposal to sort of best with people. I remember, this is a completely different example, but there was an, a doctor who radio drama I listened to, back in the day where the big twist was the voices that you've been hearing for the last two hours uh, that sounded exactly like the doctor and his companions were in fact um uh, uh copies that were like uh spider robots that had had their personalities implanted imprinted on them uh by the doctor and uh you know like a uh, hundred years earlier as a fail safe in case the civilization uh of these spider robots like went awry again so you you couldn't see right that they weren't the doctor because you were listening to a radio drama so it took the the format that the story was in and used that against you which is you know the sort of very clever thing you were talking about bioshock earlier too right you know um, uh, bioshock very famously uh uses the fact that this is a video game against you by having the sort of tutorial help me character right uh, actually have been mind controlling you the whole time, right? So you, by following the game's instructions to play the game, you have been participating in, uh, the plot twist, which is, which is really fun. And, and so you can do stuff like that with first person. Um, but I think that has led people to assume that, um, that's always going on. So I get a lot of people who are saying, oh, you know, we can't trust Hadrian. I'm like, well, you know, y- you mostly can't, right? You can trust him about as much as you trust any person you know, uh, to remember things accurately. So, um, uh, but, but yeah, no, it, it is, it is in the case of Hadrian, at least like you say, he's just, he's limited cause he's the guy, uh, and he doesn't always understand, you know, his brother or his friends or something like that.
1: Got it. Uh, we got some great comments along those lines. As you mentioned, video Mirador <clears throat> mentioned the, you know, trust and culture. Jeffro Johnson doesn't recall. I don't recall the assumption that everybody would necessarily be unreliable. Um, Fianna Wolf echoes what Daddy Warpig says. Fianna Wolf's a big fan, by the way. She had a great uh, description of your uh, Sun Eater series before.
2: Oh, yeah, no. I remember Fianna Wolf from my Twitter days. Uh, good to yep. see you. Um, yeah, not I, good. there are a few familiar names. I saw Sir Galhad, uh, who was a regular over my channel. Uh, good to see you, too, man.
1: Hello. Yeah, we, we've got... Lots of the folks that show up live uh, absolutely love uh, the guests, and and there's usually an overlap with uh, with these folks hanging out and uh, and our authors and and creators. Um, Fiona Wolf did have a question earlier. I'm going to try to go way back in chat. She queued up a question for you earlier. Uh, do you have any idea? I think you you sort of answered this earlier. Uh, is Bane going to republish? Your older son, Eater books? Yeah, so they would, they would like to,
2: uh, you know, I, I talked to Tony Weisskopf about this and that would be the, the best situation because when you jump ship mid series, it's usually next to impossible. Um, that's not to say it hasn't been done to, to get somebody to pick up, uh, you know, the, like the last two books in a series has happened with me, um. It, you know it can be done obviously you know I did it but I ideally you get to, to resell the whole series and, and reprint those. But the problem is uh that uh, the first five books are selling which is fine. <laughs> and so Daw doesn't want to uh doesn't want to give them up. Uh and so um you know they they are they are stuck they're over with Daw for the foreseeable future. Um DAW is gonna be bringing out trade paperbacks but um until such time as those rights revert uh they will be they will be Daw's books and, and they're frankly they're doing just fine by those five books so um you know we'll see maybe one of these days uh the rights will revert Bane will pick them up and we'll we'll do you know a reprinting of all seven at that time uh probably they'll look different when that happens we'll do some new art or something but uh for the foreseeable future those first five are going to stay with Daw and it'll just be six and seven over with Bane So Um, I know that means it'll be hard for everybody to get a set that matches exactly for which I apologize, but um, you know, it can only do so much uh, under the circumstances.
0: So now that we've come to it, do you want to talk about uh, the switch over to Bayon? Sure.
2: Yeah. uh, uh, Sorry. Uh, I guess like, what, what do you want to know? Um, but, um, yeah, no, I, uh, I I guess brief overview. Uh, I had a contract for four books originally. Uh, I signed that back in 2016. Around the time book three came out, which was in 2020, uh, it became pretty obvious I needed a little bit more than that. So I got them to renew the contract for, uh, for five books. And then um, I turned book four in, and book four was huge. These books are too long. Um, uh, book four was like 300,000 words, um, which is it, like, I don't want to be writing them this long, but, uh, uh, this is sort of the format for the series at this point. So I'm, uh, I'm trapped. Uh, but, uh, they told me, Hey, this is too long. You know, paper got very expensive thanks to the, um, you know, um, unspecified, uh, you know, virus. And, um, so we need you to split it. Uh, Penguin says they can't be longer than 200,000 words. So they split Uh, made me split my uh, fourth book into two volumes. This was, of course, after it was all written, which was very exciting and very fun. And so um, book four turned into Kingdoms of Death and Ashes of Man, which is how I had two, you know, large novels come out last year. Had to do some editing to get uh, those two books to work on their own. Um, And uh, and even still, they're a little bit non-standard for the series. Traditionally, there is a very large sort of time jump between each book. Books four and five as a consequence of the split do not have that. It's, they're kind of, you know, uh, A side, B side of the same story, really. Um, and uh, so I had, at that point, uh, I, I had one novel outstanding, at least from a writer's standpoint. Uh, it, and I, I wasn't sure if that was going to be one or two books uh, because it was very likely that the same sort of length limitation was going to be imposed on me. So I was sort of assuming it was going to be two books. I I talked to them and said, hey, you know, like, what's what's the deal going to be? And um, they said basically, like, we don't know yet. You know, we'll we'll get back to you. And um, you know, there wasn't a lot of communication on on that front. But I needed to get work done, so I started working on it. And uh, you know, uh, we went back and forth. I uh, eventually was told, nope, this is going to be one book. And it needs to be, you know, 200,000 words, right? So the length limitation was staying, but wrap the story up and move on. And uh, I'd already written about 200,000 words at that point. uh, And I was nowhere near the end. And, um, uh, you know, I am not super thrilled about having to throw out months of work because I had not had an answer communicated to me, uh, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I uh, went back and forth with them most of last year, trying to get that situation resolved and um you know i uh, uh eventually uh came to the point where it became pretty obvious that we weren't gonna uh get anywhere sort of an unstoppable force immovable object issue i'm not sure which one of those i was but um <laughs> in any case uh, i i used to work for bane books i had been junior editor there for like seven years so i had dinner with tony weisskopf and uh And she said, so what? They've got you on contract for one more book. And I said, not technically. Uh, When they split the book, they burned out my contract on that fifth book. So she was like, well, I'll just take them then. So uh, that's what happened. And uh, she said, I could have the two books I needed to finish the series, uh, you know, in the format and style that it had been going on. Because it'd be weird if you, you know, five books into a series suddenly went down to like a third of the length right um mm-hmm. and uh people will be mad and uh, that's that's you don't want to upset your customers so you know you need to uh you need to keep them in the lifestyle to which they have become accustomed as readers so um <laughs> you know uh anyway bane came in and uh rescued the series uh so book six is quite gods will be out probably uh around this time next year maybe a little bit later maybe more like march or april uh, it'll be finished the next uh next month or so so
1: Oh, that's outstanding! I'm glad you were able to get yourself a soft landing.
0: Soft yeah, dish.
2: me, me too. And and uh, you know, I, I I obeyed a lot. You know, I I worked for them, like I said, for for years and years. But. Um, you know, and of course that relationship was partly what, you know, made the landing possible, but uh, I really, uh, you know, uh, really grateful to Tony and team for, uh, you know, taking me on. It's uh, it is hard to take on a big series sort of midway through for, it is hard for a traditional publisher to do that um, just because of the way that they need to print, you know, in large batches and things like that. It, it can be sort of complicated and the returns aren't, it's not like picking up a first novel, right? First novels sell, uh you know the best so um it's a little bit of a uh you know uh a bit of a risk for them but you know the series continues to uh do better and better and reach more and more people so you know very excited about the, uh, the future of it all so
1: uh that's amazing and it, it's actually frankly it's amazing to hear uh you having uh so much success with traditional print books do you see a lot of action online with the Amazons and the Kindles um, oh yeah, no,
2: so uh, my my sales are probably about 50-50 digital and print in the US at least. I found that um, looking at my European statements that uh, the Brits and the uh, the Continentals tend to uh, read print a, versus digital at a much higher rate than uh, we Americans, uh, which I think is really interesting. Uh, but it's about half and half, um, uh, particularly once the, uh, the the paperbacks became available. Um, Obviously, you know traditional publishing is a lot less, let's say, dynamic on pricing, and so that causes the ebooks to be very expensive when only the hardback is out. But once the uh, the paperback comes out and the prices drop, that really uh, breathes some new life into things, and that kind of brings the uh, the 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 print release up to parity with uh, with the digital, because the digital will run a little bit ahead um, in uh, oh the hardcover when well, it's just the hardcover that's out. Um, but of course, you know, it, it, behooves us as writers to have the book out in as many formats as possible to reach as many people. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad to have, you know, all, all, all of the, uh, all the formats out there. So that's, that's good. Um, but yeah, no, I, I've been pretty happy with, um, uh, with traditional publishing sort of in general, at least as far as uh, income and, and, and sales go. Uh, I've done some indie stuff on the side as well. Those novellas, uh, my short story collections, those are. Those are indie published, so I find that doing sort of both things uh, is, is very good, especially because, you know, traditional publishing only really pays you out twice a year or when you hand over a new book. So it helps to have more regular income, uh, if only to convince the bankers that you're good for loans and things.
1: <laughs> Smooth that
2: curve a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but no, you know, I try to do a bit of everything.
1: So. Uh, sounds like you are doing it right. Um, unless Daddy Warpig has more questions on that line, I'd like to go back a little bit uh, to hear a little bit more about yourself. You said that this, this setting was a dream since you were a child and, and I don't think that's uncommon, you know, for, you know, boys and girls to dream about things and and eventually turn that into something. Uh, We don't usually do it, but uh, what, uh, gosh, I hate asking this question. Uh, so what about it? Like what in your childhood, what triggered these particular dreams or, or what specifically did you want to get in the stories that you ended up doing, putting in there?
2: Yeah. Well, I don't know about like specific things. Right. But I was, I mean, I was a star Wars kid. i like to uh, you know, I I like to joke that I was basically the last kid in America who grew up with the like original star Wars. Right. Because I, uh, my dad had the laser discs, of the original trilogy, so I watched the unlucased versions uh, up through the release of the prequels, even. Uh, and so I, uh, you know, I, I, I'm just old enough uh, to where I was able to have that sort of pre-Phantom Menace Star Wars, you know, experience as a, as a, as a kid. Uh, of course, I was also the right age to not think the prequels were that terrible. Uh, I recognized that they were not great but I was young enough to enjoy the lightsaber fights and John Williams turning in his career best music and, uh, pod racing and all that. Right. So, um, you know, I grew up with that. I grew up with, uh, you know, video games, uh, and, and Tolkien. I, um, I read, I think the Hobbit was one of the first books that I read, um, ever. I was reading pretty young. So I think I must've read that when I was like three or four, which I know sounds preposterous, but I was, I was reading pretty early. Uh, and, um, my parents, I couldn't I couldn't manage the Lord of the Rings though, of course. So uh my parents got me the audiobooks and uh they were the only and I had the CDs, so I, I listened to and they were the only audiobooks I owned. So I listened to the old Rob Inglis uh Lord of the Rings uh audiobook recordings like literally a hundred times, uh, you know, from the age of like six to well, still. Uh and um and so it was this sort of weird mixture, um you know, that really made me want to, uh, tell stories, uh, in the first place, a strange, you know, combination of like Tolkien and and JRPGs and, uh, you know, Star Wars, which is perhaps, you know, not that strange, right? In our corner of the world. But, um, uh, I was the only kid really in my relatively small Catholic school that, uh, was really into this stuff, at least in my class. I had some friends who were like a grade above me, but, um, but because of that, you know, I was, I was the weird kid and I was always, uh, you know, doing my world building on the, the, uh, the backside of my math notes, you know, so you'd open my, my binders and it would be, you know, math gibberish on one side and actual gibberish on the other. And that just sort of continued. Um, you know, I was, uh, trying to write like a fantasy book, you know, as early as middle school. And I finished a draft of something that's, uh, you know, maybe, maybe 200 pages around that time. It's, it's totally unreadable, but, um, you know, I would, but I was serious about it. This is something I worked on you know like all all the time which um you know and i never really uh never really thought i would do anything else and so i, I very foolishly went and got an english degree because uh, i didn't know what else i was supposed to do with myself and that at least uh turned into the bane job so I, I think I was the only english uh degree holder i knew at the time who had a job in english so um <laughs> you know so there was there that's was that saying something personal. for real no
1: that uh, that's saying something for real that's a uh, that's outstanding. Hey, hey,
0: I, I don't like that insult. English majors is a perfect entry position to uh, a, a a wonderful career in any fast food restaurant you care to name.
2: <laughs> I knew that's where you were going. Oh man. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's very true. Uh, you know, it was, I, I, I tend not to recommend that people, uh, people do the same thing. Uh, you know, if you're going to spend that much money to go into indentured servitude, you should really, uh, pick something that might get you out of that bondage. Uh, you know, I, uh, I got very lucky, uh, cause I sold, um, I, I sold the book about two weeks after I graduated. And, um, yeah, and, and so, uh, that uh that helped sort of smooth things over uh a ways because of course um you know i had that in some some foreign sales really helped to uh to get me out of my bad decisions uh but that doesn't happen for you know a lot of folks so i, I recognize i, I really uh, was blessed um in that department so uh
1: no arguments here yeah that's that's a tough road to go i know people who've done uh english and anthropology and sociology and it's all just mountains of debt for very little benefit but uh the i think uh i love hearing the success story because that's what half of english majors want or more you know they they want to have a uh, some success as an author or a writer sure Uh, and and if if enough of them get their heads out of the clouds or, you know, out from in between their uh, pillows, then they'll come up with with something good that people like instead of trying to write quote unquote great literature. Um, Along the same lines, Jeff was talking, and you were talking about reading Lord of the Rings in school. Lord of the Rings is great, but it's not necessarily for, uh, you know, kids or little kids. Uh, You need a few years of reading practice to get into it, but uh, then think of all the hours you spend in school and in English courses being force-fed awful so-called quote-unquote literature, literature. I mean, just to to pick on everybody's favorite redheaded stepchild, nobody needs to read Catcher in the Rye ever,
2: (laughs) right? Yeah, well, the, the other real problem with English curricula, right, is they also do share great literature with you, but it's being shared to you often by people who hate that literature, uh, or who are disinterested in it. I, I remember having several teachers who had a very adversarial relationship with the fact that they had to teach Shakespeare. And uh, I think Shakespeare is awesome. You may, you know, you may disagree, uh, but I, I do like like. There, there's no reason that you can't make a story about witches and a king and his wife plotting to murder, or I guess you know, a thing, uh murder, uh, plotting to murder the king. Uh, boring. Like I don't know how English teachers managed to to do that. Uh, you know, it's, uh, actually awesome. And, um, and, and so they are constantly signaling that what they're teaching you is worthless. And, um, in some cases, you know, it definitely is, <laughs> but, uh, in other cases, they're like ruining, I don't know, they're ruining the best freedom, which is, uh, really, a, a criminal offense
1: <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, it's a tragedy. So, amen. Uh, you mentioned, you mentioned amongst your, amongst your influences and I'm going to zero in the, on this. You mentioned uh, JRPGs, which is sort of uh, typical for our cohort here. Uh, so I was wondering if, uh, if you could tell me, uh, do you like uh, uh, what are your gaming influences? Oh sure. Uh, so
2: I was never a, a big Final Fantasy guy, which I know gets me in a lot of trouble. But I really liked uh, I really liked the Tales series, uh, Weebie though it is. Uh, Tales of Symphonia was huge for me. It came out in like 2005, so I was in I was in middle school. Uh, and, uh, so that's a, that's a great one. I was a Nintendo kid up through the Xbox 360. So I, I, wasn't able to get a lot of the, um, uh, you know, sort of the big name stuff. This is why I probably am not a Final Fantasy guy. Cause it was sort of in that awkward window where, you know, Nintendo yeah, and Play, Atari, PlayStation
1: owned it all that time. Okay. Yeah.
2: they have gone, they have gone splits after the, um, uh, the N64 PS1 divide. Right. So, uh, so I had, I had tails. There was also. Uh, very excited about this because Nintendo just announced they were remastering this series, uh, Bat and Kaitos for the GameCube. Uh, kind of an obscure deep cut, uh, but I love those two games. Uh, they're great. They're, um, you know, they're one of those like card building things where uh, you you build your deck out of you build your moves uh, in a deck of cards basically, and it uh, otherwise plays kind of like a turn-based uh, sort of Final Fantasy-esque thing. But your um, your moves are built into this deck, right? But the world building is super cool. It's this sort of weird uh mashup of like Mesoamerican and Italian Renaissance and uh the whole world looks kind of like watercolor uh painted and it's just it's just great the writing is excellent the voice acting is terrible uh but the writing <laughs> is excellent uh, that's
0: that's kind of traditional is it oh Isn't yeah
2: it? no you're like would you would you want it any other way uh I mean that's <laughs>
0: that's how you know it's a legitimate JRPG is right it's this the high quality stuff right it's uh <laughs>
2: Yeah. It's the, uh, it's the bitter with the sweet. Um, but,
0: uh, Resident it, Evil started going downhill when they started getting good voice acting.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it, you lose the meme quality, right? And, uh, and that's what you really are, you're really signing up for. Um, you know, I, uh, <laughs> I've been playing the, the latest Tales game recently cause I realized it was on PC, which I, I finally got it, a good computer and, uh, and the voice acting is pretty much good across the board. And I find that I'm just not, uh, shouting the dumb attack names. And maybe that's cause I'm not, uh, 14 and think it's as silly as I used to, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's certainly missing something, uh, you know, with, with regard to the cheese factor, um, that the old games, uh, had, um, uh, but those are great. Um, I really liked, uh, Lost Odyssey too, uh, speaking of Xbox games, um, if anyone's ever played that, it's um, sort of the the, uh, the the bastard sibling of Final Fantasy because uh, I can't remember his name, but the guy who who went off and founded Miss from from Square, uh, it was sort of his off-brand Final Fantasy game, and it's tremendous. Um, there's a uh, a bunch of short stories, like one of the unlockables in that game, are, are like just straight up short stories. Uh, about the main character that was written by some Japanese novelists whose name also escapes me but it's about these uh, this immortal soldier and uh, his quest to try and get his family back together uh, and there's like an evil wizard you know it, it's uh, also very cool world building it's kind of got an industrial revolution thing going on but uh, you know in that distinctly JRPG way right where it's still you know it's the industrial revolution but everybody's fighting with like um, you know uh, swords and uh, you know there are uh, these like sort of imperial walkers that are resurrecting troops on the battlefield uh, in uh, you know uh, sort of mass production numbers. It's great. Uh, that's a really that's a really great game. No, um, sorry, I could talk about random JRPGs uh, at length. So I'll uh, I'll shut up.
1: No, this is a is a pleasant surprise. Uh, the the JRPG is a its own particular beast, like you mentioned, the weird stories and the weird world building and the awful voice acting uh it's got it's it's got its charms for sure Uh, i was a big final fantasy guy you know i switched over to the playstation with everybody else uh but there's no uh you know there's no lack of influence in those games on my part uh you might have picked this up earlier but i'm also a huge tabletop guy uh uh, do you do any uh, do do any uh, real life gaming, role playing games, that sort of thing?
2: Yeah, so that's that's one I have never really uh, gotten into, to be honest with you. Um, I um, had some friends uh, who tried to get me into it in high school, but they were also the friends who like deliberately tried to like mess with the other players because they thought it was funny, and so we couldn't ever really get anything done, and uh, I just like never had fun. And so it's just something as I've I've gotten older, I've just never really circled back to. My wife's a big uh, a big fan. She plays. She's got like a, a Discord group. She does. Uh, I think I think it's D and D with. I can't remember which game. It might be a different system. But uh, in any case, it's never been never really been my thing.
1: Well, I, I tell you what, all the cool kids are taking their fun fantasy IPs and making uh, making a games out of it tabletop uh, war games and role-playing games out of it oh sure so so uh hook up hook up with the with the spouse and talk to her about doing uh a, a uh sun eater uh space traveling adventure game uh you'd you'd, you'd get jeffro's attention for sure
2: Oh, I've, uh, I've thought about it. Um, it's, uh, it's on the long list of projects. I've got a secret project I'm working on right now. It, I will tell you it's not a tabletop game, but uh, I'm I'm ramping up to trying to do more stuff to support the, you know, uh, to support the writing, let's say. Uh, so one of these days, uh, certainly not out of the question.
1: I love to hear it. Uh, we are coming up about five minutes left in the show. Uh, we don't have to stop, but I'm just letting everybody know uh, live. Uh, Daddy War Pig, what you got left for
0: uh, any questions or anything interesting you want to ask? So um, are the sixth and seventh books going to be, as was planned with Daw, um, just the 300,000 words of the sixth book kind of playing out? Or is the sixth book? book going to be 300000 and the seventh book going to be another 300000
2: uh, yeah Gosh, I hope they're not going to be quite that long. Um, but uh, but no, so um, because I had this sort of premonition that they were going to pull the split game on me again, I sort of just planned on them being two books. And so when I did my outline, I've been... I'm a pretty big outliner. I um, I uh, found a bunch of old Dave Drake outlines at the Bain office when I was working there. I was like, oh, this is the this is the thing I'm missing. This is what I should do to be, you know, uh, a real, a real writer. Uh, and so I've outlined pretty thoroughly ever since I, um, I outlined, uh, both books six and seven as sort of separate books. And then they told me, Hey, it needs to be smooshed together. And, um, so I sort of just went back to my original plan once the, the Bane thing was sort of, uh, cleared up basically. So they will each be, um, you know, they aren't going to be shorter than books four and five, but hopefully they're not as long as book three, which is currently the longest one in the series. I think that was about two hundred ninety thousand, um, two hundred eighty-five something like that, which um, which is very long. Uh, and, uh, you know, if I had any sense, they would be uh, third that size and uh, the series would just be a lot longer. Um, of course, the trouble there is that traditional publishing doesn't do very well with like 15 book series anymore. Um, uh, for one reason and another, but, uh, but yeah, you know, so, so the point is, is we're looking at probably two, like 200, 250,000 word novels to finish out the series. Um, and that'll be, that'll be it for Hadrian at least, uh, if not for the setting, I'm not, I'm not leaving the setting for the foreseeable future.
0: So one reason is Thrones and the other one is killing Kings. But anyways, um, <laughs> uh, are you um, – that's a lot of work to come. So this this may be entirely jumping the gun more than a little bit. Are you looking to uh, – or have any notions of the future beyond that?
2: Oh, sure. Uh, I have uh, probably about a dozen different uh, little like one-page treatments I've written up uh, for different things that I want to do, uh, either in the universe or – uh, in the universe, but so far removed from it that, uh, the casual observer wouldn't be able to, to figure it out. Um, you know, or in, you know, it's own thing. There's a fantasy series I'd like to do at some point. I don't think that'll be next. Um, but I've got some sort of sorcery stuff, some sort of planet stuff. I've got some more, uh, sort of standalones in the Slender universe, uh, that I'd like to do as well uh my sort of rule of thumb has been that if i can fit a project in the sun eater timeline anywhere then i'll do it uh rather than make it its own thing because then that sort of you know that sort of connection is is fun right you know we, we sort of build the canon build the universe um you know that sort of stuff is really fun for me to to find the sort of deep associations between one book and another uh, the little cameos easter eggs that sort of thing so uh, but um but yeah, no. So so that'll be coming. I uh, I think I'll probably be done with book seven around the end of the year because book six really is almost done. I've got some short stories I need to do and another novella uh, that I need to write sort of in the middle of the year. But by by New Year's I should be about finished. So it's it's not that much more work. Uh, you know, I, uh, I I can crank out one of these giant books uh, uh, about once a year. Um, so you know we should uh, we should be
1: we shouldn't be too much longer. Um, Uh, that that sounds great and once a year is pretty fast for the big books
2: yeah yeah I uh it would probably I'd be better served if I were writing you know two uh more reasonably sized novels a year at least from like a like a financial standpoint because the sort of rule of thumb in like um indie publishing right is that you want to write sort of shorter you want to write like what like 50,000 to 80,000 maybe 120 at the top end and if you can get like two or three of those out a year, maybe even faster than that, you know, you're sort of playing the algorithm, right? I'm not, you know, super well-versed in, uh, in how you do all of that because I i am um, not like one of those, um, yeah, you know, like lit RPG sort of machine guys, right? Uh, they, how they do, what they do at speed, I just, I have no idea. Uh, but, um, you know, it, it's true in Trad too. you know, if you can you can get more frequent releases that's that's good for the sales team that's good for the backlist. that's good for everybody so um i uh i I plan on moving away from the giant um you know the the giant doorstop uh novel after this series having having played that game long enough i think so we'll be changing up the format a little bit
1: i love it Uh, well, I think we're just about done for today, but uh, it has been amazing talking to you. Uh, thanks so much for being on the show. I'm going to open it up to you, uh, Chris Rocchio. Last words? What do you want to What do you want to say? What do you want to talk about?
2: Uh, well, I just wanted to say uh, you know thanks for having me, and if uh, folks want to check out the books, the first one is uh, Empire of Silence. Um, it's on Amazon. It's at Barnes and Noble. It's available, you know, basically wherever books are sold. Uh, you can check out my website, which is solanempire.com, S-O-L-L-A-N Empire.com, and uh, I am on YouTube here as well, over at uh, Sun Eater Books. Um, and so I hope to see some of y'all around. Uh, but uh, but yeah, no, thank you for having me. It's been a blast.
1: Outstanding, and I'll I'll make sure everybody knows about those links in the show notes later. Uh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today uh, and i really appreciate everybody in chat Uh, you've got a lot of fans and probably a few more uh, fans now Uh, so and i hope everybody listening later uh, takes a look you know enjoyed the conversation and goes checks out your stuff your site your books uh, your youtube channel Uh, so uh, that's been great. It's been a great show. And special thanks to my co host, Daddy Warpig. The floor is yours.
0: Wait, it's my turn?
1: It sure is.
0: <laughs> oh, what am I going to say? I, I have no idea. I'll just have to wing it. Um, I want to thank everybody who came in to listen live, participated in the chat. Um, we love all of you, of course. And I want to thank everybody who listens later. Uh, all the people we pick up during the week uh, who uh, download us from the Google Play Store, the iTunes Store, and uh, from SoundCloud.com. We are available on the device of your choice to listen on the web or just to download your PC. And we, uh, we're signing out for today, folks. But don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.